Jesus about what happened uh, uh, to uh, where did those come from in in, uh, the southern hemisphere not all the Hebrews left Egypt with Moses and perhaps as few as 20% first time I heard that I thought it was heresy that's what the rabbis say and then I checked up the translation of a verse in um, a translation of a verse in um, Exodus thirteen eighteen, about they went out, they left with Moses armed for battle. The rabbis say that's ridiculous. They were slaves. They had no slaves. They had no weapons. But that word is really, and I looked looked into this as a linguist. That word really is twenty percent. They went out twenty percent with Moses. What happened to the rest of them? If I don't have to, if I can disagree with Schofield, I can disagree with a few rabbis too. And uh, they said, well, the 80% died in the three days of darkness because God didn't want the Egyptians to see the bodies. That is seven dollar bill theology. Uh, and uh, if anybody takes seven dollar bills around here, sorry. <laughs> Maybe my wife will give you a few and change. <laughs> but uh, they didn't die in the three days of darkness. I was teaching this in Port Moresby one time. And uh, I just said that, and guess what happened? The lights went out. It was at night. Anybody back here dead yet? <laughs> and uh, fortunately, there wasn't. But uh, darkness doesn't kill anybody. But... We found tracks of them all the way down to the South Pacific, Vanuatu, that's formerly the New Hebrides, Papua New Guinea, and all of these places. So that's um, about this. We're going to get a few concepts of this today, and uh, this is very, very timely for what is going on, particularly in this country at this time. These are sensational uh, history, well, they're not history, uh, prophetic days. And Daniel said there's going to be, and, and Jesus, there's going to be trouble like there never was and never will be. So um, let's go to, I'm going to sound the shofar once more for our purposes here of his blessing, and then we will go to the the uh, PowerPoint over this meeting today, and we ask, as we sound the shofar, that you dispel all the distractions and interactions. Father, bless this word and give your servant clarity and give your congregation understanding of what you want to tell us with his teaching, Bashem Yeshua, in Jesus' name. Amen. Are we on? Uh, uh, let's get to the triple track of the kingdom, the final kingdom. Here is one example of teaching, and I'll get into more of this tomorrow, not today, but there are certain doctrines. Fortunately, they're not coming from our corner of the Christian spectrum, but there are certain doctrines that are simply not true, and they many of them are from Hellenism, 
that is Aristotle, and Greek thinking instead of Hebraic thinking. And one of them is Jesus, I like to call him Yeshua, that's the Hebrew word for Jesus comes from the Greek, Yeshua, they say Yeshua was fulfilled everything. He fulfilled all prophecy. He didn't. He fulfilled everything for our salvation. No question about that. But to say that no prophecy is of any value anymore is ridiculous. It's people that have thrown out the Hebrew Scriptures that are the inspired Word of God as much as the New Testament is. And they say, He was everything. He wasn't because we have today, we'll see a triple track, one, two, three, to the final kingdom. Based on the hatred of the Jew, why and when did the barrage begin? As I said this morning, the hatred of the Jew is higher today than it was when Hitler did his thing to cleanse the globe from the, from the Jewish virus, as the, they might say, to cleanse the globe from anything Jewish. And in this book, I might say, there is, well, I think we end up on this, maybe I shouldn't run ahead of it, but anti-Semitism is but a Siamese twin with anti-God. Next slide. This is what I mentioned this morning, Colossians 1, 15 to 17. And in here is our camp theme for this year, and I didn't know it. I had no knowledge of it. And as I said, it's the kind of thing that gives you goosebumps when you see two things that shouldn't come, that shouldn't happen together, and they do. You know, somebody's doing things. Bible speaks of two or three witnesses. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in Him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible, invisible, thrones, powers, rulers, authorities. All things have been created through Him and for Him. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. We've been talking about that, haven't we? And here I had this uh, several months ago when I put this together. That's fairly clear. The Messiah had, what was that? (laughs) Messiah had been involved long before his Calvary interlude. You can turn it, sweetie. Anyway, um, been long before his Calvary interlude. And I want to touch on something here. Who was this? Uh, uh, get a mental block once in a while here. Who uh, that that um, uh, Joshua just saw him just when he crossed the Jordan, and he says, sees this fellow, and he says, "Are you on their side or are you on our side?" He says, "I'm the captain. I'm the captain." And this, along with a number of other incidents, are pre-birth presentations of the Messiah, pre-birth presentations of the Messiah. And what about the, what about the, um, what about the um, fourth in the fiery furnace? Who was he? We think we know. What about Melchizedek? Strange fella. No beginning and no end. 
another pre-birth presentation of the Messiah. And Abraham had a few friends. Remember, they're walking along. Scripture indicates the context would indicate two of them were angels. One of them was the... Don't worry about it. That makes me nervous. (laughs) Thank you. Uh, Anyway, uh, Abraham um, had three friends, and one of them was different than the other two. And they went on together. Again, a presentation, the, not just any old angel, but the angel of the Lord. And when you see angel of the Lord, it's a fairly good indication that this is Messiah himself before he entered the womb as sperm of a woman, of Mary, and became born as one of us. Uh, same thing happened to the mother of Samson, and a very significant, which has New Testament backing, especially, again, a New Testament reference, is the, um, is the um, angel of the Lord went behind the children of Israel as they left, as they left um, Egypt first as their rear guard, the angel of the Lord went behind. Then he went ahead. Then later, this was switched to as he was the rock. And the New Testament refers about the rock. And it says, and this was Christ. Or in Hebrew, Messiah. So he was there long before. And um, just another comment on that. Greek thinking is when did Messiah come? They, the Greeks would, uh, the Greek mind, the Western mind, would look at a straight line from A to Z, for my Australian and Canadian friends, A to Z or A to B, and that Messiah came somewhere in the center of that straight line. No. The model of the Hebraic model of eternity is a Huge, huge spiral ascending from humanity on up to God. And in the core, in the context of that spiral, not just midpoint on a line, in the context, he always was. In him, he always was and he will forever be. No beginning and no end, just like it speaks of Melchizedek. So that's a bit of background about that. One other thing, I've got to tell you for a, about Papua New Guinea. I never went to a Bible school. I'm a scientist. I was educated in chemistry and the sciences, and I worked for seven years as a, as a nuclear scientist, translating scriptures for my brother back here. I went to, well, I should say I did go to a Bible school. I went to the BBII, the Burning Bush Information Institute. <laughs> and I learned so much, graduate work, learned so much from my Papua New Guinea family. And then there was a fellow by the name of Ibagijan. I'm way off the charts here on this, but Ibagijan was an early believer. 
very serious fellow and uh, very solid. He lived basically, I suppose, Papua New Guinea, a place where we were at, maybe seems the ends of the earth, but this is the end of the end of the earth, way back at a place called Obal. I was up there a couple times. It kind of wears you out to get all the way there. Ibagijo was a strong believer. But to, today, he's had a son that's graduated from the University of Papua New Guinea. And uh, no more smoke signals. No more calling from mountaintop to mountaintop. All these guys got so, phones, uh, cell phones and computers and things. And young Ibagijan, he called him Paul, Paul Ibagijan, the son, sent us an email. And he says, now I've got it figured out. He said, we came from God and we're going back to God. That's better than any Greek would have ever thought. That's Hebraic thinking, but he didn't get it from Daddy. He didn't get it from me. He certainly didn't get it from the University of Papua New Guinea, the Holy Spirit. As I said, I learned there beautifully my education of what the eternity and the Father and the Creator was all about. Anyway, enough of that background. He always was. Even before Calvary, Messiah held a wider purpose I've just been talking about. He came in the context of a family, and the Hebrew Scriptures are replete with that message. Wider purpose in the Father's total plan. Three tracks, remember. He came in the context of a family. And we've got, I, I like to get three, two or three witnesses to anything. So uh, let's look at this next uh, text. That family had a few growing pains, remember. Most often overlooked is the relevance of John eleven forty nine to 52. This is from the New Testament, which many of those skeptics uh, must be forced to accept if they throw the Old Testament out. We use it, of course. And um, John eleven forty nine to 52, it is about those lost ones that Yeshua, Jesus, came to gather together. The Message Bible for that specific text, I don't know how, how many of you know the Message Bible, but it is a very, is a very free translation, but it catches the corners where some other translations don't catch in colloquial English. And the Message Bible is very good for that specific text. It gives the clearest identity of those exiles, scattered children of the diaspora. Let's look at John 11, uh, 49. One of them, it was Caiaphas. Remember this text? It was Caiaphas, the designated chief priest that year, spoke up, don't you know anything? Who's he talking to? The Sanhedrin? Fellow rabbis, fellow priests, the scribes and the Pharisees, don't you know anything? Can't you see that it's to our advantage that one man dies for the people? He's speaking God's words, but he wasn't speaking for God. Or maybe he was, yes. It's to our advantage that one man dies for the people rather than the whole nation be destroyed. He didn't say this of his own accord, but as chief priest... That year, he unwittingly didn't know what he's saying. 
I said he wasn't speaking for God. He was speaking for God, but he didn't know what he was saying. Unwittingly foretold that Jesus was about to die sacrificially for the nation. And not only for the nation, but so that all God's exiled, scattered children might be gathered together into one people. That includes bringing together the fractured family of Jacob. And this is something that the Gentile church often sweeps under the carpet. Bringing together the fractured family of Jacob. Isaiah gives a second witness of what was said there. And I like this. It goes from New Testament back to the Old Testament. No, no, no. Call it the Hebrew. I don't like to say Old Testament. Nothing old about it. It's the foundational testament. The Hebrew scriptures goes back to that. And in, in uh, Isaiah gives a second witness. And now the Lord. Lord can either mean Father, the Father God or the Son Jesus. Son Messiah. Now the Lord Yeshua says, For I am honored in the eyes of the Lord. That's his Father, Yahweh. My God has been my strength, he says. Is it too small a thing for you? Yeshua, says the Father to be my servant and to restore the tribes of Jacob. This is one of the three tracks, to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel that I, Yahweh the Father, have kept. Uh, and look at this. I will also, also speaks of a second lot a second line, a second track. I will also make you a light to the Gentiles that my salvation might reach to the ends of the earth. Two tracks. Fix Jacob's troubles and open the door to the Gentiles. Also in the Good News Bible, now a lot of people don't like that. They say it leaves out stuff. It doesn't. You can't leave a color out of a tapestry. And you've got things going over and over again. And in the simplicity of the good news, I use it tremendously. In the simplicity of the good news Bible, it helped me tremendously in translation to get exactly what it was saying. How do you say it? What's the wording? Before I was born, the Lord appointed me. This is Yeshua speaking. The, the Father appointed me. He made me his servant bring, to bring back his people, to bring back the scattered people of Israel. This is not the Gentiles this time. The scattered people of Israel. The Lord gives me honor. He is the source of my strength. The Lord said to me, I have a greater task for you, my servant. God speaking to his son. Not only will you store the greatness of the people of Israel. Some of the Muslims don't like that too much, including Yasser Arafat. He had a bit of a fit. About He says, these Jews, they think they're going to be in charge one of these days. Well, they aren't, but their Messiah will be. And Saddam Hussein made the same fuss way back. I remember reading it, and I picked that up because Israel is coming to be part and, uh, to, to be part and parcel over the, uh, the new heaven and the new earth. Restore the greatness of the people of Israel who have survived, but I will also, also make you a light to the nations so that the world, all the world might be saved. Opening the door of the Gentiles. Yeshua did this all the time. The Samaritan woman, the Syrophoenician woman, the parable of the Good Samaritan, and so forth. And also in the Hebrew Scriptures, 
the stranger that is within your gates, don't turn your back on him. That all the world may be saved. That's, again, the same translation from Isaiah. What's going on here? If you're confused about the two tracks, Almighty, the Almighty has two streams of redemption running at the same time. If you're a Gentile, which many of us are, or goyim, you probably heard about your stream first and only later about a stirring within what we now call Hebrew roots. No, there are not two ways to be saved, only one. But, next slide. Is that the next one? No, there we go. But there are two timelines. The initial one was the creation of a Hebrew family first to bring the Messiah, the family of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to bring the Messiah. The Hebrew family first, and the good book, as far back as Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and the rest of the prophets, spoke about healing the hurts of that fractured family of Jacob first. It's a slip-up, if you forget Romans 1.16. We'll touch on that in a minute. The Father's time, we, timing, we need some more Bible. Paul says in, in Romans 11, a very, very powerful chapter, similar to uh, the significance of Romans 8, which is another powerful chapter. I do not want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers and sisters, so that you may not be conceited. Israel has experienced a hardening in part until you and I and the rest of the Gentiles, until the full number of the Gentiles has come in, and in this way, all Israel will be saved. Does that mean every Jew is going to be saved? I don't think so. Paul says not all Israel is Israel. But there is a significance here that after the Gentile outreach has been by and large completed, the focus turns back again to the ingathered tribes of Jacob, all the way down to Papua New Guinea. All the way down to Vanuatu, all the way down to Micronesia, Marshall Islands, Palau, and Nauru. These are four nations, these last four. I visited them almost 20 years ago. I opened the Bible to the president of, the, of Micronesia, to Genesis 12.3. I don't know what I was doing. I was going around and I'll see all these people. Genesis 12.3, Abraham, whoever blesses you will be blessed. Whoever curses, you'll be cursed, and I will bless the whole world through you. Showed this. No, it wasn't the president. I was teaching the pastors in in their capital, teaching them about the significance of Israel. And I said, take me to your president. And they said, no. I was surprised. They said, he's not the one to go to. They took me to the vice president. The president was... I don't know if they knew this or not. They, maybe he was very sick at the time, but he, he died in short order, and the vice president was president. He was ecstatic. All these people knew the Bible, but they didn't know about Israel. They didn't know the Old Testament. I opened up this Bible, the Bible. To, he was ecstatic. He got the photographers in, took pictures, and first thing I knew after that, I was in Israel. And here I heard of it. Micronesia, where is this little place? It's a, it's a federated states of Micronesia. It's four islands that are tied together in one nation. Four islands and 
Uh, and anyway, they, they and Marshall Islands, where they had the atomic tests back in World War II, and they took one island and they blew the hydrogen bomb up on them, and, and then there are two others, small island nations. And these four nations to this day, when there are blasts against Israel in the General Assembly of the United Nations, five nations, Israel plus four other nations, America used to. These days it's a little tougher. Uh, Czechoslovakia is another one that stands up. But just a handful of nations stands up to support Israel in the General Assembly. It doesn't count for much. It's kind of like a popularity contest. But four of these little na nations, these little nations are from the Pacific Islands that have gained the notice of many Israelis. Anyway, uh, the, uh, talking about the or all Jews being saved, no, I don't think so. But there are those who are hard after the Father, and they're programmed as kids to be afraid of believing in Jesus. Because in their teaching, he represents another God. And if there's anything that the faithful Israelis don't want is to worship another God. But I'm looking, well, I'll tell you this later when we get to Thomas. Anyway, this begins Jewish. The Goyim, Gentiles are added. It ends Jewish. I'll get to that other bit in a moment. And this is the Father's timing in his salvation, there are not two ways to be saved. Only one through the blood of the Lamb. But remember, he's not the center of a straight line. He is the core of this spiral going upward. Beginning, ending, no really, no beginning really, no ending. But he's the core of the upward going spiral. You have to get your head fixed up a little bit and start thinking Greek. I mean thinking Hebrew. And uh, because we are too Western, that should be easier for you younger guys, but uh, we're a bit too Western sometimes for Hebrew thinking. Uh, let's go on. <laughs> Which track is first? I mentioned this a moment ago. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, Paul says, because it's the power of God to, that brings salvation to everyone who believes first to the Jew. I wasn't making this up. First to the Jew, and then to the Gentile. Let's not transfer our mindset into a Greek marathon. Too many people of the Gentiles see this as a marathon. Maybe it's the Jews' fault, too. A race with the Jews. The Greeks were good for marathons, races, competition, and the Gentiles versus the Jews in salvation and we're better than you are and we're going to heaven and you guys aren't and this sort of thing. I know somebody that said, judge not that you be not judged. I am thankful for those messianic groups who go out and reach to the Jews, Jews for Jesus and other groups. But if they miss them, I think the Almighty has a backup system. Let's go on. Four spiritual shortcuts. You ever hear of those? 
Anybody ever hear of the four spiritual shortcuts? How about the four spiritual laws? That's what I'm making a parody of. The four spiritual laws. God loves you. Two, you're a sinner. Let's see. God loves you. Two, you're a... Anybody know these? Yeah. Uh, I'm... Let's see. If I... God loves you. Two, you're a sinner. Jesus can save you. Jesus will save you. Believe in Jesus. That's the four spiritual laws taught in a lot of young groups in, in universities and so forth. God loves you. Two, you're a sinner. Jesus can save sinners. Number four, believe on Jesus. Now, there's nothing wrong with that, except those are the starting blocks. And we're talking here at this camp about going on, about going Somebody said something about going last night. But that's not the only way to go on. We go up. And I believe there are many, many of us who have grown up in the church and have a conversion. Should not be surprised to expect another notch of revelation, another notch of the power of Yeshua, the power of Jesus in our lives. Another boost of going on. A new anointing, a new awakening. I think it was Brother Mark Igich that several years ago in his final of Friday night address to camp said, what this place needs is a new awakening. What do we come to camp for? A little bit more inspiration. And if we've slipped off the track a bit, get back on. The spiritual shortcuts. And the previous slide sounds a bit Jewish to the Jew first. Some Gentiles can't handle that. The Greeks can't handle that. The Greek, that's the Greek thinking people. It's because of shortcuts of much Hellenist influence, Western theology. The Hebraic family with their Messiah are the front door. The Hebrews, the scriptures, the front door. Greek mindset seeks a back door with fewer Jews to contend with. Next one. How can the Jew be saved? If he doesn't see Jesus through their Messiah like everyone else, but what if they already have already died or if they die before a revelation of him? The Messiah seems to hold a key for the spirits in prison. We got Bible for it. We got Bible. We got Bible. Spirits in where? In prison. When Yeshua, when Jesus was in the tomb. 1 Peter 3.19, after being made alive, he went and made proclamation of the spirits in prison. I think you all know that verse. 1 Peter 4.6, this is why the gospel was preached, even to the dead, that though judged in the flesh, they died like men. They might live in the spirit like God. Ephesians 4, 8 to 10, it says, When he ascended on high, he took many captives with him. This is out of Sheol. Sheol is not hell. Sheol is the grave. He took, that's where Yeshua went, preached to the spirits in prison all the way back to Adam. What is ascended, he, uh, he took many captives and gave, uh, when he ascended on high, he gave, took many captives, he gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean? Except that he also descended into the lowest part of the earthly regions. He, he who descended is the very one who ascended higher than the heavens. You know what? A lot of times, we Westerners make very strong decisions 
about things we don't have a clue about. And we don't have that many clues on the other side. And theologians and men can make declarations and proclamations without knowing what they're talking about. But the answers come when we get to the light at the end of that tunnel that you might have heard about from time to time when somebody seemingly dies on the operating table, they come back, gets killed in an accident, and he gets resuscitated. A lot of stuff we don't know. Let's go to the next one. The realm of revelation. This is what I was going to talk about a bit later. I thought I'd wait for the slide. It doesn't take three weeks of Bible study for instant soul response. It doesn't take three weeks. Take unbelieving Thomas. He knew better. He was an unbeliever. Unless I see the holes in his hands, unless I see the slit in his side, he says, I'm going to go believe. With the Lord three and a half years, and he's an unbeliever. Jesus comes through the wall. This is what I'm waiting, looking for for the Orthodox Jew. My Lord and my God. They know all the basics. All they have to do is connect the dots. And I believe that the those God-fearing Jews, I'm not just talking about any old sinner, but those who are struggling to find the Father through the, the law, they're going to find him through the Son as they move into eternity. That light at the end of the tunnel, I think I know who that, what that light is. I think I know who he is. And it is not out of line to suspect after this, the judgment, that there is an evaluation committee. Oh, no, no, not a committee. Committee is not the right word. <laughs> a committee, um, what's this little saying? What's a giraffe? It's a horse put together by a committee. So uh, committee is not the right word here. I, I think that uh, I'm sure there's a welcoming entity for some of those who have been really struggling to reach out. That's our God. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, nor has entered the heart of man that which has uh, uh, entered the heart of man, the things that God has prepared for him. Anyway, uh, Thomas, second witness. Got to have two witnesses at least. Renegade Saul. On the way to Tarsus, he was a fighter against the gospel. He was actually against God. He's on, on his way to Tarsus on the road to ruin. He finds himself groveling in the dirt. He hears a voice from heaven, and he says, Who are you, Lord? He says, I'm Jesus, whom you've been persecuting. Paul says, let's, Shaul says, let's go. Done again, take three weeks of Bible study. God is things that we don't know everything about. I like Deuteronomy 29, 29. The secret things belong to God. The Greek says there are no secret things. The secret things belong to God. The things revealed belong to us, to our children. Do them. Keep them. We began with Messiah's threefold assignment. We just finished reviewing the first two. If we believe Isaiah and the prophets plus Paul to the Romans, the first track should be clear as his initial role to gather Abraham's scattered family to the Jew first. Okay, 
That's Bible. And as I said, the Hebrew scriptures are full of God returning to his people that he once rejected. Read the book of Hosea. It's also strong in Jeremiah. To the Jew first, we alluded to the second track, of course, which is the bottom line of why most of us who are Gentiles are actually here today. Global redemption. To the Jew first, and the rest of the Gentiles come in. Well, you got a chance. Next one. What's the third track? Who does the end gathering of the final kingdom for both Jew and Gentile across eternity? It won't be an Antichrist in a godless new world order. We've got upheaval in this country, and it's getting worse. We've crossed a lot of territory. I ask them about the next year or so. I don't know, time after time, they roll back their eyes. Not much, not much positive expectation. It's not an antichrist in a godless new world order, and actually this is me stirring afoot of a leader for the new world order. I don't believe it's too far away. In review, the two tracks run simultaneously, yet on different timetables. And Zechariah declares, every eye shall see him. Messiah's third role. He's the one who will stage manage the Ancient of Days final curtain call. His father's final curtain call for both Jew and adoptive family from the nations, also known as the grafted in Goim. That's us in culmination to an ancient prayer, thy kingdom come. Next one. But is Israel's return going to be in belief or in unbelief? Is it going to be a Billy Graham type of thing where thousands hear the message and come? Or will it be still when they have some dirty clothes, soiled linen? Will it be a stirring in Jacob's pain or in a father's plan? Well, we don't know exactly, except Zechariah has a very, very significant chapter for us that we can think it over. The Lord gave Zechariah a stunning vision to settle the question. Zechariah 3, 1 to 10, he faces the future. Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest. Now let's get some pronouns here. Who's he? It was the angel showing Joshua, uh, Zechariah, a few things. Who's me? That's Zechariah. Then the angel showed Zechariah Joshua. Who's this Joshua? He is a symbolism of the scattered and battered ones of Israel. The hated ones by Hitler. Today it's even the United Nations. The, the International Criminal Court. European Union. Israel's got no friends. He used to have a friend in America, but uh, some people have been changing that. And um, Canada. Israel's got a friend in Stephen Harper. We don't know how long that's going to last. Hope it lasts a long time. Maybe a lot of Americans will come to Canada. Who knows? But anyway. Um, then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, the angel showed Zechariah, Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord. We've had him this, before this afternoon. The angel of the Lord 
and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him, to accuse decadent Israel, the Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, Satan, the Lord who has chosen, not Athens, not Rome, not London, not Washington, Zion. The Lord who has chosen Zion, the Lord who has chosen, uh, sorry, Jerusalem, rebuke you, is not this man of burning stick snatched from the fire? Kicked and bent and bruised Israel, is not this man a burning stick snatched from the fire? Now Joshua was dressed in filthy clothes. He stood before the angel, and the angel said to those who were standing before him, Take off his dirty clothes, his filthy clothes. He said, Joshua, see, I have taken away your sin. It's Yeshua. And I will put fine garments on you. He's the only one that can take away sin. Then I said, put a clean turban on his head. Put a clean turban on his head and clothe him while the angel of the Lord stood by. The rest of the vision. The angel of the Lord gave this charge to Joshua. This is what the Lord Almighty says. If you will walk in obedience to me and keep my requirements, then you will govern my house. Israel has a place of authority in the end of days after they have also been cleansed. You will govern my house. And again, the Muslims don't like this. And I will give you a place among the stand, uh, those standing here. Listen, High Priest Joshua, you and your associates seated before you who are men symbolic of things to come, I'm going to bring my servant, the branch, We've run into him before in the 11th chapter of Isaiah. See, I have set in front of Joshua. See, I've set, uh, see the stone I've set in front of Joshua. Seven eyes on it. That one stone is the sevenfold spirit of God. And I will engrave an inscription on it, says the Lord Almighty. And I will remove the sin of this land in a single day, says the Lord Almighty. And the Lord Almighty can do whatever he wants to because I make a note in my latest book, God doesn't answer to theology. Theology must always answer to God. And sometimes if it's a bit too Hellenistic, it can't. Let's go to the next one. Romans eleven twenty six twenty six twenty eight again. And this is the way this is the way all Israel will be saved, as it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will turn godlessness away from Jacob. The timetable is his, and this is my covenant with them. When I take away their sins, as far as the gospel is concerned, they are enemies for your sake. That is the Gentiles. He's enemies for your sake. Paul writing this in Romans 11. But as far as election is concerned, they are loved on account of the patriarchs, the fathers Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And God made solemn promises to these early patriarchs. Is it fair? Who could say that it isn't? God is God is God, and he'll do what he wants to do. He'll do what is right. Even so come Lord Jesus. They are loved on account of the patriarchs. Does a politically correct Hellenist mindset stumble, stumble over this bit of Bible? I'm sorry, Greek thinkers. I'm sorry, theologians. This is what my Bible says. Let's go to the next one. A little bit of the prophets yet before we close. We're getting close to that. I like this one. 
I like this one. I will take you out of the nations. This is not to the Gentiles, is it? We are nations, but I will take you out of the nations. I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities, from all your idols. I'll give you a new heart and new spirit in you. I'll remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Almost sounds like being born again. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and to be careful to keep my laws. Then you will live in the land. This has never happened yet. It's never ha- the return has never happened. I gave to your ancestors. You will be my people. I will be your God. I'll save you from all your uncleanness. Next one. Ezekiel has more. This is what the sovereign Lord says. I'll take Israel out of the nations. I'll gather them back to their own land. I'll make them one nation on the mountains of Israel. There will be one king over all of them. Never again two nations. Never again a divided kingdom, nation into two kingdoms. They will no longer defile themselves with idols or with any of their offenses. For I will save them from all their sinful backsliding. And I will cleanse them. They will be my people. I will be their God. And if he does that for the Jews, what's he going to do for us? Hallelujah. We got good things to happen. We're here to stir up our thinking at camp and get excited about what's coming. And if somebody doesn't have the promise yet, it's time you got it. Let's go to the next one. Uh, Isaiah had to add, Zion said, the Lord has forsaken me. I've been too bad. They hate me all over the world. Hitler Hitler killed six million of us, a third of the Jews around the globe. The Lord has forsaken me. The Lord has forgotten me. Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Though she may forget, I will not forget you. And if the Jews can have this one, we can too. Though she may forget, I will not forget you. See, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands, and your walls are ever before me. Next one. In that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will rally to him, and his resting place will be glorious. In that day, the Lord will reach out his hand a second time. When was the first? A second time to reclaim the surviving remnant of his people. Next, was Jeremiah any different? Oh, I love this one too. This is what the Lord says. He who appoints the sun to shine by day, who decrees the moon and the stars to shine by night, who stirs up the sea so that its waves roar. The Lord Almighty is his name. Only if these decrees vanish from my sight, declares the Lord, will Israel ever cease to be a nation before me. My Sunday school teachers, quite a few years ago, And this is why our fellowship has had a little bit different slant on some of these things that many of the churches do not have. My Sunday school teachers never say anything negative against the Jews. I'm thankful for that. 
Only if these decrees vanish from my sight, declares the Lord, will Israel ever cease being a nation before me. Only if the heavens above can be measured and the foundations of the earth below be searched out, will I reject all the descendants of Israel because of all they have done, declares the Lord. Next one. Another verse from Isaiah Chapter 30, verse 3, the days are coming, declares the Lord, and I'll bring back my people Israel and Judah back from captivity and restore them to the, restore them to the land I gave their ancestors to possess, says the Lord. One more from Amos. Amos cried out the same promise. I, I will bring my exiled people of Israel back from the distant lands. They'll rebuild their ruined cities, live in them again. They'll plant their vineyards. And gardens, they will eat their crops or drink their wine. I will firmly plant them in their own land. They will never again be uprooted from the land I have given them. And this has never happened yet. It's coming. And I'm not a spring chicken anymore. But I'm kind of waiting on the day to see this. Waiting on the day to see this. Why don't more churches teach the whole package? Instead of BDS, which I think many of you know, the Boycott, disinvestment, BDS, and, and, and uh, sanctions all throughout the Western universities to defy Israel, to, to denigrate Israel. Why don't more churches teach the whole package? It's in our Bibles. That's where I got it from. It's in their Bibles, every word of it. Unfortunately, a Hellenist mindset has infiltrated much Western theology. And I'll get into a little bit of more of this tomorrow. I'm just ready to wind this up today. It has infiltrated much Western theology. It has marginalized the Hebrew prophets. Oh, that's gone. That, that's all finished. As they say, I have scoffed at biblical prophecy as long ago over and done with. Next slide. Why? This is significant. If anybody's getting too tired from my rambling on here, this is significant. It's the same as after the Maccabees whipped the Greek mindbenders in 176 B.C., quite like Amalek in Exodus 17, 16. I'll get to both, both of those issues. Aristotle and the Hel Hellenists, after the Maccabees whipped them, sadly lived on. But for Exodus 17, 16... That says the Lord will be at war against Amalek from generation to generation. Who was Amalek? It's Esau's grandson through a concubine. And that is the nickname or the pseudonym or the, the name tag that the Jews give their enemies. Amalek. That was the first tribe that was taken after them after they came out of Egypt. And they were picking off, off from behind. And that's when, remember, talking about raising your hands, that's when they held Moses' hands up. And as long as Moses held his hand up, Israel's winning. When the hands went down, the, the uh, Amalekites started getting, the first, getting priority. But so the, Aaron and Hur held his hands up. And they held his hands up. And, and, uh, Israel won that battle. But the Lord says you're going to have trouble from those guys from generation to generation. And I just want to throw in a quick thing about the Greek thinking. Um, Antiochus Epiphanes, who was the leader of the Greeks 
in 176 B.C., and they took over the temple. This is in the Apocrypha, if you want to read it. I think it's 1 Maccabees. It's in the Apocrypha. They took over, the, the, the Greeks took over the temple. They, of all things, they sacrificed a pig to Zeus, and they brought their pagan filth into the temple. The Maccabees, Matthias Maccabee and his five sons formed a guerrilla band, and I think there were others, must have been others, that from the, from the bush they drove out the Greeks, they cleansed the temple, and that was that for then. But I add this, my own interpretation and understanding, what happened to them and what I see happening today, and we'll get a bit more of this tomorrow, what happened was that the Greeks came back with a vengeance after uh, the, the time of the Romans and uh, Western thinking today. The Greeks came back, and like God told Israel, you're going to have trouble with Amalek from generation to generation. I believe he teaches the Western thinkers you're going to have trouble with the Greeks from generation to generation. That is not the Greeks that are living over there today, but the Greek thinkers, Aristotle, Plato, Cicero, and those guys. Generation to generation. Satan. Let's sum it all up under Satan. You're going to have trouble from generation. We had that this morning in the, in the seminar with um, Tom Hertig and uh, Glenn Polonaki. Let's go to the next slide. Sad trail of anti-Semitism. The early church fathers had become grossly anti-Semitic. Then Rome's early follow-on theologians had become fans of Aristotle. Augustine, St. Augustine, St. Thomas Aquinas fed. The, they, were, they were high-tech, high-power theologians. And they fed the, the Reformation, which was Luther and Calvinist. Calvin. Hellenist leading Luther, heeding Luther and Calvin reformed, re, uh, stopped short of ever, they, they were reformers, they stopped short of ever accepting the Jews. Anti-Semitism was never stopped out with, stomped out with the Reformation. They cleaned up a lot of things. They cleaned up a lot of things, but they never got the church back to respecting their Jewish brethren. They cleaned up, the, uh, up all the indulgences and the, the evils of Rome, but it never got back to accepting the Jews. An unwitting Western theology never recovered its latent anti-Semitism. Next slide. Why and when did it begin? That's the title of our book. Let's check the garden. Genesis 3.15, I will put enmity between you. This is God speaking to the serpent. I'll put enmity or hatred between you and the woman, between your offspring, her, your seed and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. And my last six lines in the book. If you're going to get it, this is a preview to it. The Most High gives the option. To the rebels, take your choice. The Most High gives the option. The rebels take the bait. Humanity is tested, but truth will compensate. Chosenness does bear purpose.
plus a crown to celebrate. And any of you, and I think most of you, have given your life to Jesus. Maybe you weren't aware at the time that you were also enlisting as a foot soldier in the family of God, a foot soldier. And too many Gentiles today have kicked Israel under the bus. Next one. I throw this in here because it's true. It's in my book, too. Complaining. And that happened in the wilderness. So Jews get into a little bit of this stuff. Complaining is a telltale testimony that the Almighty is messing up my personal agenda. You can quote that without any royalties involved. <laughs> last one. No, this is the second line. How odd of God to choose the Jews. This is for us. But not so odd as those who choose the Jewish God, but spurn the Jews. Now the last one. Anti-Semitism is but a Siamese twin of anti-God. God bless you. Thank you for patience listening to me. This has been meaningful. And uh, may the Lord bless you. And hope some of you might be show up tomorrow. There's a lot of filling in the cracks on some of this More. details. God bless you. Oh, Father, we just pray that you would go with them your friends, your people, and bless them tonight in Jesus' name. Amen.